0: Nine, 12. That's body. But we
1: can discuss that later. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Hooray for Hollywood. Let's go with Hollywood Coming to you direct from our super-secret studio...
0: Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio, and I'm your host, Emily Brandwin, CIA spy girl on Twitter. We're broadcasting from the West Left Coast, and today I am beyond thrilled and excited to be joined by the co-creator creative and executive producer of the nine-season CBS sitcom How I Met Your Mother. Um, he's a seven-time Emmy nominee. He wrote for little shows like The Late Show with David Letterman, and American Dad, and he's calling from New York City. and um, It's Craig Thomas. Hey, Craig.
1: Hey there. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. Um, just, you lived in L.A., right, when you did How I Met Your Mother,
1: correct? Yeah, we lived there for 12 years, like two or three years before How I Met Your Mother, and then we did nine seasons of the show. Uh, so, yeah, just about 12 years total. Then I'm, I've been back in New York for like five years, better part of five years.
0: I'm going to tell you something. You're going to appreciate this having lived here we're having a thunderstorm right now in LA
1: that's crazy um it's, it's 5 degrees here in New York so i can't tell who's who who's worse or better off um you're much better. i actually liked i really liked it there when it rained i loved it there it was like i i mean i guess that's why i moved back to the east coast i missed weather it's just <laughs> like it was i i loved i loved how this everyone panics in LA when it rains like no one can drive no one can go anywhere it's um, all over it's the news. Like, <laughs> yeah, like very minor, relatively minor weather events. It's a big deal. WeatherCon um, 2018. Yeah.
0: And so it's like, gosh,
1: <laughs> yeah. it's I loved it. I always loved rain there, and it never, ever rains. So that's probably why I moved. I missed it, rain.
0: It literally, it thundered, and I was like, oh, I wonder what that was. I thought I dropped something. I'm like, it can't be that. <laughs> and then I looked out the window. I'm like, am I going to see toads and, like, locusts now? Like, what, what's next? <laughs> Is
1: there hail? Because yeah, there's a little to- hail. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that once or twice. And uh, yeah, it's very rare, but every now and again that happens and you're like, It's 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 the end of days. This is it. This, this I'm gonna die in it. Los Angeles. You just have hey. to come you come to terms with it. You're like it's really happening. This is this is where it ends for me in LA. Should, should I call
0: all my high school nemesis and just tell them off? I feel like maybe yeah, this is I the time to the, do it. The,
1: the best use of your remaining exam. I don't know why you're on the phone with me. You should get I'm, on that right now.
0: I'm going to text them while we're talking. So if you hear, like, avoid. It's just me telling them to screw off and be like, you remember when you made fun of my hair? I remember. that. Yeah, I'm the girl with the eye patch. That's me.
1: If, um, if you don't get to all of them, just, like, text, text them to me and I'll, I'll, I'll tell them off.
0: Oh, I'll do it you for please? you. That would be I'll provide treat. you
1: that service. Uh, that
0: would, there's a lot of them, just so you know. I went to small school. And there was <laughs> what, a lot. what
1: was going on with you in high school? Actually, that sounds that sounds like me too. So, I'm going to start making that list for myself as a, as a disaster, uh, per, you know, precaution. <laughs> I actually
0: have a theory that I think a lot of like creative-ish people and like people who get into the arts. They've had like I was aggressively awkward, like kind of like super aggressive, but I think that's why I got into comedy, which is not you know unusual. Like did were you like a cool kid? Would you like talk to me or were you kind of like one of like a little bit
1: nerdy? The, this is the part where it's important to point out to the audience that Emily and I are not in the same room and, and she would not be asking me that question right now. <laughs> she, were you a cool kid? Like I'm forty three. I'm not i I'm not cool at any age. I've never been yeah, cool. But- uh <laughs> But yeah, yes, we are not in the same room, and that, that's why that question got asked. Uh, I was no, I was, I was like weird, nerdy, arty music kid in high school, kind of off to the side. Um, yeah, and I went, to, I grew up on Long Island, in this, in this, the hometown of uh, John Philip Sousa, who huh. does all like the marching band music and stuff. Yes. This is like the worst name dropping of all time. I'm not trying to brag say, about that. Like I'm going thing. somewhere with this. I was like,
0: it's not like George Clooney. <laughs> uh, it's I'm sorry, it's John Philip Sousa.
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's, also, right? it's like the worst music in the world and it, it's like meant to score football games and that's what I was in the beginning of high school I was like in the school band I had to put on like the marching band uniform It's like ninth grade I'm like 14, like oh. six feet tall probably about 94 pounds in this, like, marching band uniform with, like, the big, like, feather dildo coming out of the hat, and I I just, that was kind of, that, that was kind of my moment of, like, what's happening in life, this is not, this isn't going well, and, yeah, I quit that eventually, and, like, my town was, like, a lacrosse town and a football town, and, yeah, I think, I think a lot of this led to me being sort of, like, weird comedy guy off to the side and, like, staying up late watching the old David Letterman show on NBC and just well, like becoming just a comedy nerd and uh, kind of going off on that path. And I quit being in the marching bands to like start playing drums and bands with just like other weirdos like me. And yeah, that was definitely, that was definitely my sort of formative comedy years. I think it was just like hiding in like weird comedy stuff from that situation.
0: I think it's a, probably a similar, like through line, probably the different Different facts are a little bit different, are a little, you know, they vary, but that sounds very similar to my growing up. It's funny, as you were talking about the marching band, my husband was in the marching band as well, and he showed me a oh very boy. similar picture. And I was like, he goes, what do you think? I'm like, I'm glad we're married. I'm really glad we're married when I saw this picture. That's all I have to say. He's <laughs> like, is it that bad? I'm like, he's like, should I put it on Facebook? I'm like, I don't, need, I don't think you need to share it. <laughs> are like, I, I think it's,
1: those- I I think it's sure. too soon. It's been 30 years. No, it's just too soon. It feels Uh, really fresh. It's not a great look. It's not a great look for a guy. And Um, nobody looks
0: good in it either.
1: And you're just – it's basically like being in the Army. It's basically being in the Army. It's like like you show up early before school starts and you practice marching. You practice marching so that you can do a good job marching at football games. It really was the worst. Worst. Um, So tell him I, I feel his pain. He even showed me like
0: college <laughs> bands, marching bands. He's like, look at their formations. I'm like, I, I can't. I, I just I can't. Oh wow,
1: he was way more into it than me. Yeah. I, yeah. I was like faking illnesses to like avoid going into it. I was I was like I just was Shawshanking my tunnel out of that for like the first for freshman year, <laughs> and eventually I sort of figured out a way to convince like my parents or whatever to just let me quit. And go I, play like Led Zeppelin songs on the drums <laughs> in my mom's basement.
0: <laughs> I faked illness for four years. So I could get out of gym class, literally four years. <laughs> and my dad's a that's doctor. Amazing. So I was like, just, just write the letter. My mom like kind of felt for me. Cause I was like, I'm not going to do the mile run dad. Between you and me, you know, it's not going to happen. Just write the note. So I think literally for four years, I, my gym teacher thought I had my period. Like, that's all I did. I was like, I got another <laughs> note for you. It was just four years straight. And, like they got, you know, they're not going to say anything. They're like, oh, okay, it's great. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. I get that. <laughs> it's amazing. So, That's I, amazing. so So after you went to college or you, did you start where, did you think your world was going to be music? Cause I do want to talk about your band as well. Or did you think it's going to be comedy? Like, how did that go for you?
1: No, I, I mean, that was definitely more, I, I, I mean, Carter Bayes and I, my writing partner, we, we, we've been writing together for 22 20, something like 22, 22 years um we started working together in college and but the way we started working together was we were in a couple different bands together so kind of our creative connection came through music but none of us was we we weren't really under the illusion like and we're going to make it and be rock stars it was like it was sort of like <laughs> but it was it, this is how dumb we were like let's let's make a far safer bet comedy writing for tv that's, oh, that's... for sure going to go somewhere <laughs> <laughs> that's a game. <gift>. Uh, <laughs> That was our that was our safety school. Become I comedy like, writers on TV. That's uh, and...
0: your safety school. So basically, comedy writers. <laughs> <and Harvard.
1: laughs> we had no no logical plan whatsoever. That was that was the soundest part of the uh, of our plan, and uh, so yeah, we we sort of switched into writing scripts. We liked all the same music, and we liked all the same comedy. And we we he basically grew up a music comedy weirdo nerd in Cleveland, while I was doing so in Port Washington, Long Island, and we yeah we started writing scripts together kind of towards the end of college and we sort of graduated with like our Conan O'Brien portfolio. We were obsessed with Conan O'Brien like in the late nineties. That was like, we, that would have been our dream job. We had this like beautiful, perfectly, like spent the whole senior year of college writing this Colin O'Brien portfolio and we got out of school and sort of and found a way to submit it through an agent we had found through us both interning at MTV. We got the same internship at MTV. Uh, MTV. There liked us put us in touch with an agent. Yeah, MTV in the late 90s it was a very different MTV. Very um, different. But so we got we got put in touch with an agent who literally, how, many, how often does this happen, became our agent to this day. Matt Wright serious? at UTA. That's literally crazy. representing us in from senior year of college <laughs> uh very unlikely turn of events I, when people are like how do you get into comedy writing what are the steps i'm like i can't really tell you because i got an agent in my senior year of college and that should not have happened
0: you're um, like well actually it sounds pretty cool you're like i don't know how to help you i was so good i got it you know i had an agent in my year of no
1: just be lucky just be incredibly lucky and have things happen that don't make sense and uh, yeah it, it's That led to us getting on. We couldn't get on to Conan O'Brien, despite our lovely uh, all-color glossy portfolio we had spent a year writing, but uh, there were openings at David Letterman, at Late Show with David Letterman, Uh and we spent, I remember literally we graduated college we had an agent, but we are living in my mom's house in Long Island. By best- oh. In the closet was that marching band uniform and the feather dildo and all that stuff.
0: You need to and, take uh, a picture of that, by the way. Like, <laughs> I've destroyed like all
1: photographic right evidence of that. <laughs> I don't know why your husband is holding on to pictures of that because I well, it's funny. I've I've set fire to all of mine.
0: I literally yeah. have destroyed two decades of photos of myself. And when we got married, he's like, oh, let's do the montage where everybody sees photos. And he's like, why are there no photos from like 10 to 30? I'm like, because they don't exist. You <laughs> don't document
1: these years. You're like, he's like I was in the CIA. I was in the CIA. I know how to make things disappear, and they're, they're gone. And they're redacted. gone.
0: He's like, literally, he's like, "What do you mean disappeared?" I'm like, "Nobody needs to see those." He's like, "You yeah. seem really yeah. intense." I'm like, "Oh yeah, they're gone."
1: Yeah. And so we're my, I had to- I had the um, added benefit of like my parents were going through a horrible divorce as I was marching around in that uniform, so oh. no one was taking pictures of me. Oh. Like they were so distracted by their own shit that like no one was taking any pictures. So maybe there was like three pictures of me in that band uniform, and the I think I did lining? conveniently make them go away. But yeah, what?
0: The silver Say lining then? It's the silver lining. Yeah, I silver
1: guess. lining. No, that was that was a divorce upside. No one was, was paying attention enough to take pictures of like eighty-five pound Craig Thomas in a John Philip Sousa marching a... band yeah. uniform.
0: And I totally interrupt you. You're um, so you're living at your parents' house, and in the closet's the uniform. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it was Car- Carter's Latin- like in the guest room. And no, not yet working for Letterman. We oh. we were we we graduated. We had this like Conan O'Brien portfolio. We heard no jobs there, but uh, right up a David Letterman portfolio because they have they people some people just left, and there are some openings there. And so I remember literally spending like a 48 hours awake at my mom's house in like the summer of 1997 with Carter. Just like writing a late show with David Letterman submission portfolio, basically from scratch, like one weekend and sending it in. And then they were like, this is good. Come in and meet with us. And again, it was just a string of events that doesn't make sense and uh, led to us having a career. So it it really was a lot of luck. When
0: but, you're saying I was reading that 9-11 helped sort of inspire your shift to, you know, how I met your mother. And I was curious, like uh, when that happened, you were in New York, right? When it happened. Yeah. And,
1: yeah, yeah, I was writing for that for a late show, yeah.
0: And how did that
1: yeah,
0: so I, sorry, I was going to have you just it, I wanted to hear the story because I think it's so interesting because I think it's for so many of us it it was the change that happened in our brains to go, we have to do something different, something else to do that,
1: yeah. I mean, I think it it helped inform how I met your mother in a couple of different ways. One, just very logistically, we, We decided after 9/11 it was, you know, it it was that happened right at the time where we were sort of gearing up to thinking we wanted to to leave Late Show and tell larger narrative stories, and we that it was sort of the impetus for us to decide let's move out of New York, let's go to LA. This is the moment we knew at some point we had to go to LA to sort of advance that next part of our career. And also it you know I don't I don't know if I don't know your backstory if you were ever in New York around that time but it was it was a really was, hard time to be in New York to stay I was in DC um, I was I
0: was at the agency you were in right
1: the time. right was, that's when okay it was uh, uh inescapable you know I lived in yeah. I lived in the West Village at the time and it was uh, just one of those things like we <laughs> similar to you feeling the, the thunderstorm booms yeah. like we I I felt the impact all the way and the West Village is like you know 25 yeah. minutes walk north from there, but I, I felt that the impact of the plane, oh, and it was terrifying, and I went out, I, like, actually went out to my mother's house in Long Island, like, I left New York City and I stayed out have... there for a few days, and it was just, like, a very different New York that we came back to, and um, Carter and I had been, you know, spending our 20s writing for Letterman and, like, going out at night, largely to this bar McGee's around the corner from Letterman that was sort of ah. the inspiration for McLaren's and, and How I Your Mother. And sort of spending our 20s, like, living living that life, like, out drinking and having fun and working too much in New York. And we decided, it sort of was like, oh, now we have to grow up a little bit and do something different. Now's the moment. And it felt like the time to leave New York, so we did. We we left uh, Letterman that, like, late winter, early spring, moved to L.A. and sort of began thinking, well, what kind of what kind of show do we want to write? You know, we'll staff on a couple of sitcoms, but what what's the story we want to tell? And I think, in part, we wanted to tell a story – from a future perspective, um, looking back on now-ish, you know, I, yeah. obviously, *How Much Mother* it starts in 2005, which is the year that we wrote it. We just said, let's look back at it right now. But in a way, I think that that looking back, that instinct to want to look back on your life from a future point, it's like you want the notion that there's yeah. a future you that has survived things, right? There's like Absolutely. there's a grown-up version mm-hmm. of you that lived through something, and that person's okay they've been through some shit (laughs) that future you (laughs) and they're looking back uh, with uh, with this sort of experience and nostalgia and and even gratitude for all the hard things you went through. And I think, I think just being in New York at that time, we, you know, we moved to LA and by a few months living in LA and 9 11 and New York felt long ago, even though, you know, eight months earlier, a year earlier, by, by the next year, September, the next year, it was like, that was a different world. That was a different life. Everything felt so different. And I think that idea of like, you know, we were like, you know, when we were at How Much Mother, we were like 29 and we sometimes people would joke like, Oh, you're getting all wistful looking back on New York. You're creating this story (laughs) of like a guy in his fifties looking back on New York 25 years prior. And, and it was like, well, that, that's what it felt like. It felt like it gave us this instant nostalgia, you know, just instant nostalgia for a different time.
0: And that's how you want it to feel. Like that's the memory you want to keep you know, and I I always appreciate it, because I'm, every day, I'm always, I always ask my husband who works in TV, I'm like, is this the year we're going to move to New York, and he was just there, he's like, I just dealt with the weather, it's never going to happen, I'm like, so is that a hard no? <laughs> it seems like yeah. a hard no, uh, but yeah, it, I think I like always love that about it, it always seemed, it, it seemed like the New York you wanted to be in, in the show.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and the idea of no matter how hard and dark it feels in the moment, there's, there's some you years from now that can look back on it and make some kind of sense of it and have come through it in some way. Even if it was hard, even if not, life isn't perfect, you, you survived it and you got through and you have some kind of perspective on it. And I think all of that was, was really informed by that time of our life when we left New York to go to LA. And then shortly thereafter, we wrote How I Met Your Mother. And I think it was just part of that.
0: Is there anything going on now that you feel like because I'm obviously thinking about, you know, the shit show that's going on, like, does any of the Mueller stuff or what's going on with Trump, has that ever inspired, does that inspire you to tell a story that's more political? Because I read your tweets, and obviously, that's why I started following you, because I was like, oh, go give him hell. Like, you did, you've done some amazing tweets that are like, chef's kiss perfection that I'm very excited about. But so I was just curious, like, how does that inform your creative process? Because it's all around us and you can't escape it. It's, it's just everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's way too easy to get obsessed and distracted by it. It really is. It's like, and then you, and then you say, wait, I'm spending this much time as a as an artist, as a writer, as a comedy person. You go, I'm spending this much time thinking about this. How can I? How can I turn it into something? Exactly. And sometimes that's just like a tweet that you feel like I have to vent something about this emotion, <laughs> <laughs> and and you're like, I don't know what good this does in the world, but it makes me feel a little bit better, kind of. Little, kind of. Uh, no, but it, it really, it it definitely has affected me because. So, yeah, one of the big things that happened to me in my 30s, as I was writing How Much Mothers, I, I became a special needs parent. My, my son, Elliot, was born, and he has a rare genetic condition where he's, he, it's a little genetic deletion where he's missing a little piece of one of his 11th chromosomes, and he has, okay. it has, like, developmental aspects and health aspects, so he is a kid with special needs, right? Yeah. He's, he's yeah. a kid with difference, with, with a level of disability. And one of the things that really—I mean, obviously—that's become a huge issue for me. And I've—I've I've yeah. written a few different things about it that have yet to get into the world. But there, there's actually a, a movie project that Carter and I are, are are writing, that's entirely inspired by my son Elliot, his first six weeks of life in the hospital. That's, this will sound very crazy—it's a movie, musical, dramedy oh. about the first six weeks of life, when, when your child is born with difference in the hospital. And sort of tells the story of the first month and a half of my son's life with, with songs. <laughs> and it's, you and had it's me a musical. It's one of the craziest things we've ever written. No, it's the craziest thing we've ever written, but it might also be my favorite thing. So I'm hoping, we're hoping this year to get that made and make that a reality. So that's like a very big.
0: I would think yeah. it's going to be the most fulfilling thing that you'll, that you'll do. I, I can't imagine. It's, it's combining it's everything main, in your life music yeah
1: yeah it's it's music it it ha, it's i know it sounds intense um but it's it's it has comedy um <laughs> it has a lot of heart and emotion it's one of my it's really the main the my favorite thing i've worked on since how I at your mother we've done some other pilots that haven't gone anywhere and this is sort of the most meaningful thing to me and I, I we started this a few years ago that's how long it's taken to kind of get to the place where we're we're getting some traction on maybe making this thing finally um welcome to the world of indie movies right it takes years uh, but yes. uh but so that that was started before before Trump. But what brought you know, I think each of us has our top thing or our top two or three things donald trump has said or done or recurringly said and done that get us that keep us up at night the most that, that yeah. get to our core the most right yeah and that's the great thing about donald trump he gives everyone so many oh. reasons to hate him and to feel We're absolutely so affronted <laughs> i know there's he's really brought so many disparate groups together in hating him okay. and needing to stand up for their identities and one of those groups is uh people living with a disability right and he he has such um donald trump and in his tweets and in his public discourse has an undeniable theme of shitting on people with a disability whether it's physical or cognitive or both um what he's what he's doing to health care what he's doing to education Is him mocking criminal. that reporter who had are- a disability who had a disability him using low iq him dropping the r word apparently he calls people the r word uh, you know, regularly in, in his belittling of his various people that work for him. And it's, it's that one, that's, that's the issue that gets me the most and that, that makes me even more passionate to get this project I just told you about out there in the world because just telling stories that, that humanize the idea of disability and difference, and and people who've had to cope with with that in life, humanizing that experience rather than what he does to so many different groups, which is to dehumanize them. And um, and that that it really, it really even though I said even though I told you I I started this project before Trump, it just feels so much more important to me to try to make this one. So we're putting a lot of effort and heart into making this project because it, it feels like, as an artist, what I want the story I want to tell in the Trump world.
0: It also feels really, really not only just needed, but so timely as well. And it's, I, I, it's interesting because I talked to a lot of people like, how do you, how do you combat this? How do you, you, you know, can we win? you know, I make jokes about lighting my, my Mueller candle with, you know, my little prayer candle. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I don't know if that's going to do it, but like, what yeah. can you do? And I think these what are the do? things and like, but these are. These are the ways to do it, and we're all speaking out. We're all making our voices loud. But when you create a project like this that other people will see, the hope is that it it sinks in. Because I don't remember a time before this where that kind of rhetoric was acceptable. Where it was where we were just like, oh yeah, yeah. it's another thing that he said. We used to be horrified at that, and that's. That being horrified is such a good thing. That means we have empathy, we have compassion. And right now, there's just like a sinkhole around, you know, white the White House, where it's just like a vacuum of all compassion and empathy. And he's just this oxygen thief that sort of steals all that away. And I, I'm just appreciative that that's the kind of project that will get out there because my hope is like, it's right now like our hope is like our kids and our children. And you know, I yeah. nieces and nephews and I literally end every email and text to my nieces with make a room for the White House which
1: I probably- <laughs> totally please yeah <laughs> I mean it's it's just the Trump administration it's it's like it's, it, you could just call the whole thing like how to make a bully how, how do we create how do we create a new wave of bullies of people that are different and it's just I think one of your greatest fears when you become a special needs parent is will my child fit in will my child be accepted will my child be bullied Um, and the idea of, of my son who's, who's 11 now and is doing really well, but him, him coming of age him growing up in this era is terrifying. And then seeing what's happening across so many different identities and minorities in America, how, how unsafe they feel in this America where that type of hatred is being called out of the shadows every day by this man and, and the people that work with him. It's really terrifying. And, you know, I, I, I also have a, a daughter who's two and a half, a little bit, uh, almost three actually, and she she was born just a little bit before <laughs> before Trump took office, and I thought she was being born into the first female presidency, and that was going to be just such an auspicious moment to be a little girl growing up in America. And obviously, that's a whole other layer of heartbreak and terror yeah. that has come out of this thing is is having this young girl in this climate, and and you know, so I have a, a son with special needs and a, a daughter. And I I don't, I wouldn't know how to explain America to them at the moment, but I sure hope that, like, just the activism that is being inspired by everyone's, you know, by by, by so many people being so scared and threatened and and diminished by this administration, like, there is a huge upside to all of that pain, which is activism and taking charge, and I, I do see that happening. It gives me a lot of hope, just what you said about your nieces and nephews, like, that's, that's the hope, you know, that's the that's, hope. That's what can save
0: this. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to see this and they're going to realize it. And they're, I mean, I'm super heavy handed. There's like no subtlety to anything I tell them anymore. And everyone's like, you can take it down and out. I'm like, but I can't. Uh, I, totally. I, hope, <laughs> I, I, cause I want them to see it. I thought the same thing. I'm like, how cool that my nieces are going to see Obama as a president. And then Hillary as a yeah. like, what a cool yeah. world for them to only know this, this type of leader. Who is a true leader, and you know whether you agree with anyone's politics, you agree that they're leading with, you know, decency and integrity, and to see that, I was so excited for that, and I think in everything that was you know so disappointing, that to me was like sort of the gut punch. I mean, I was thinking though for you, it's like I feel like New York and L.A. were a little bit separate from. Some of the other stuff that's going on, we're not isolated from it, but I feel like there's maybe a little bit more acceptance, you know, on both coasts. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. That's kind of my hope. I don't know if you've yeah. seen that, but you know, I I kind of feel that, which is nice because I've, you know, I've family in uh in the Midwest and other places, and it's always I always get on their Facebook page. I'm like, I can't believe this, and it's always you know they're saying things about Trump. Yeah. Whatever. It's always. I'm like, oh, we're kind of isolated in our little bubbles over here.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no question that we are. <laughs> but I mean, I think we all have we all have family members, and in here in New York, I have family members who, you know, I can't be Facebook friends with them anymore. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's really strange. Even people, you know, I mean, there's nothing new to be said about this. Like, why do so many of Trump's followers not see how much he yeah. does not serve their unique interests? You know what I mean? Like, I, I know people who who support trump who there are glaring things about their life that are the very things being undermined by donald trump um Absolutely. and they support him anyway and it's just as you just go is there a magic spell has there <laughs> has a contract with the devil been made like there's only something supernatural can explain this
0: <laughs> I, I honestly it's like a, it's like a movie i'm like is it like did they get like bird boxed in some way like a weird trump bird box like i'm trying to I'm like you, they all looked in you know the what are those characters in Harry Potter, the Dementors, like, do they suck their soul? Like, what's going on?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's very Dementor, it's a Dementory time. It just feels like America, we are just in, (laughs) surrounded by Dementors, but we, you know, let's, there, there's a way out there's the, we, we just there's, have to we have to just, we'll send our patronuses this conversation is getting really dorky now but i, I do think there's say, a way out
0: <laughs> well, it's, well i was gonna say like it's a pretty nerdy and dorky is usually where i end up veering if i'm talking about like musical theater when oh. you said musical i was like what go on you're telling me more about musicals so um yeah yeah, I mean, yeah dorky is normally sort of my de facto uh,
1: gear but- <laughs> this is a safe space I, has- I used to march around with a feather penis coming out of my head
0: oh that needs to be a hashtag by the way
1: <laughs>
0: some in some variation of that that needs to trend because it's really amazing and that character it's <laughs> something you need I, that <laughs> yeah needs to be realized it's still
1: it's still too soon the pain is too it's too soon it's only I been 30 it. years
0: when people mention eye <laughs> eye patches i still like freak out i'm like no it's too soon i had lazy eye but like that's a long time ago i'm like you have no idea what the ridicule was like when you have a lazy eye no idea oh
1: Especially my god an old- that's, and was that in was that in high school that was your no, high that was it, your trouble it,
0: it, um, it was a little bit yeah. before that but i had an older brother who used to like ridicule me and he was like even her eye is lazy and i was like really really that's you going to go god. with oh my god or, just I like mean, he's
1: little little uh, Don Rickles there just giving you shit. That's oh, crazy.
0: By the way, um, I saw Don Rickles in concert like a couple years before he passed and it, all I wanted was for him to insult me. Literally that was my <laughs> only And he, that would have
1: brought him that would have given you closure. Yeah. Oh my
0: god, I was so excited. We sat close enough that I thought we were going to I was going to get insulted and then he insulted the woman in front of me and I was like, "Did he mean that to me?" And my husband's like, "No, it's that woman." I'm like, "Are you sure?" He's like, "You're upset that he didn't like yeah, was, you're insulted a not
1: to be insulted. And I yeah. was like, The worst not? insult is not to be insulted. I was
0: like, Yeah, I, I hear you. It was, yeah,
1: it was <laughs> very, I was No, like, seriously, the, those scars, though, they, the things that make us, like, comedy weirdos, like, when I was in kindergarten, I used too much paste <gasps> all the time. I was just bad at paste. I'm, I'll admit it. It's, I, 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 I don't mind sharing that. And the, the kindergarten it. teacher, who was not a nice woman, uh, would make fun of me in front of the class and call me the paste machine. And it would mock me it? and apparently I would come home from kindergarten, like five years old, and would say and would give reports to my mom, like, Oh, today, like Emily didn't laugh when she called me the paste machine and Amy and oh. Doug and this person. I, I would talk about who didn't laugh at me <laughs> when I would come home from oh. kindergarten. And my mom was eventually like, I've gotta go talk to this woman. This is this is horrible. <laughs> and I went and talked to her went and talked to her and, and confronts her and says, Hey, why why are you calling my son a name? He's five and she goes, because he does use too much paste. Like, she was right. She was really defending yeah, she, the school. school. She's so indignant. Supply. She's like, yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm taking
0: you to the, to the moral authorities. He's too much paste.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. It was ridiculous. So that was an, another early why I am a comedy writer experience. And it's, apparently years and years later, and I, I don't, I won't name anyone's name, and I don't have full verification of this, but I think she was asked, this teacher that made fun of me, she stayed in the school system for, like, decades, was asked, like, not that long ago, I think, to leave the school, the school district, because she had apparently been stealing supplies from the school. And I was like, Jesus. "Well, that explains that I was cutting into her black market paste resale." <laughs> She's like um, on the street
0: with a big like overcoat. Who needs paste? I got <laughs> paste for you. I've got, yeah. I've got the this, kid's, this kid's
1: cutting into my paste supply, He's my like, paste stash. The
0: kids go down. Uh, I
1: don't. The whole thing's crazy. Anyway, I that had was a Bitcoin formative teacher experience.
0: Who was horrible to me, like horrible, horrible. And it came out that she was asked to leave like 10 or 15 years later because she grabbed a kid by his ear and pulled him out of Ooh. his chair. I mean, she was, she was troubled as it was. Like, we're all like, she was really scary. And I do want to say her name, but since you didn't, I'm going to be a little bit classy and not say her name. Let's, yeah. <laughs> <And> I,
1: well, <laughs> hey, Lord, you I know what? We, it. we made it out. We made, we it, made out. it out. We don't. <laughs> we don't but honestly, like, honest, honest to God, that type of, like, bullying from above it, it reminds you of Donald Trump, doesn't it? Like, like bringing it back to that. Like it's it's that that's the climate we're now in. We're in a climate where, like, I mean, essentially that that is bull- is bullying. You know, punching down, right? Punching down on people that you have power or you have some privilege that they didn't have or, or got you know got lucky to be born at a certain time in a certain way. Like, like the lazy privilege of punching down on people. It's just insane that that's what our leadership is right now. I mean, it is.
0: He knows, like my theory is he knows everything. Everyone's like, oh, first of all, when people call him ignorant, I always say stop because ignorant to me gives him leeway to do better. To me, that means that you're ignorant. You don't know better. I think he knows better. Like, I think he knows everything he's saying. He knows everything he's saying is just fucking awful, but he just says it anyway.
1: Yeah, I think that's right.
0: Or do you think he's like, oh, I didn't realize I shouldn't be doing this?
1: Well, look, I mean, he's, I, I, to me, he's just a guy that has never had consequences. He never. hasn't. He's had no reasonable – there's no reason for him to expect consequences to be happening. And now that he has this sort of vague sense that consequences may be catching up with him, and they may be, dear God, wouldn't it be wonderful oh, if they did? My he, dream is has... my
0: eyelash wish. It is my birthday wish. It is a shooting star. Everything I can wish on Oh my that God.
1: My yeah, oh, let's start just like plucking out it. eyelashes right I, now. We, we're going to be what eyelashless. Uh, honest to God, it, what, what, what reason does he have to think he's gotten away with everything always, whatever he says and done, he, he's just gotten away with everything forever. And so he has this expectation he can continue to. And unfortunately, evidence backs that up for him. His life has been a series of not getting caught. And that's, I think that's him. I think he, I, I, I don't know if that's awareness or not awareness. I think it's just, it just he thinks that nothing yeah. can happen to him. He, he actually thinks he's untouchable. I think. And that's why the the panic is starting to come out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I I think so. I always kind
0: of judge by, like, the rapid-fire tweets. I'm like, oh, there was, like, it was like a tweet storm. It was like a Cat5 tweet storm. Oh, he must be really shitting his pants right now. And I, you can kind of judge by, like, oh, the news is going to come out. By the way, every time we've said Trump, I don't know if you can hear it on your end, literally there's been thunder over here. And my (laughs) shaking. And so I'm like, that's so weird. I don't know if it's, like, God saying keep going or if there's something else going on. But... It's. I don't know. if I have to mind if we can hear it, but it's hilarious. We've every time we've said it, my floor starts to shake. I'm like, oh god.
1: Yeah. It's like the Voldemort. Dementors are just they're swooping right out. by. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're uh, waiting. I, in I have to believe he's feeling it. I mean, I think it's. I think that's what's so strange to him. I think becoming president is going to end up being the worst thing that ever happened to him in his life, and so think too. finally it's it's going to be inescapable whether whether it happens while he's president or after. Um, I think finally this is the way that consequences finally will get to him. But it's you, what a strange thing to watch his his slow burn realization that 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 might happen to him finally.
0: My, my <laughs> it's a strange dream thing with us. It would be to see them all kind of marched across the White House lawn, oh, in handcuffs. That would be that's a little bit like a little dream I have. Well, that and to be able to see. To my-
1: Talking to my father, who does little does little but watch cable news all day, really, and he his theory is having sort of assessed everything and having lived through Nixon himself he he thinks that this all ends with the entire Trump family living outside of America. like basically just we have to we have to leave whether or not it, he's removed from office or he finishes a term and leaves before he can be prosecuted for all the things that he gets exposed to by leaving office, he'll just go live in the mid, like the Middle East in some like penthouse hotel room somewhere. You know, like the Trumps will all just be like the this banished oh, yeah. kind of like doomed like Lannister kind of clan. Like oh. living in some living King's, of King's Thrones? Landing Thank you.
0: <laughs> Are you finished watching <laughs> it by the way? I saw that you're watching it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm watching? doing I'm doing a rewatch. I'm like I'm 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 uh, only like season two in sort of a okay. rewatch, like gearing up to the the new season. But uh it's it's enjoyable and weirdly like, uh, like, oh, you know, I remember watching this a few years ago and feeling like uh, I had a completely different response to it. Where now I'm watching it like, yeah, this is yeah. actually familiar. I, I get it. I get this feeling. Whereas I, under Obama was like, this is a nice, fun sci-fi fantasy escape world. And now it's just, just like, fun. yeah, this, this feels accurate. This feels emotionally accurate. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It feels very, very real to me. You'll appreciate this. My niece is getting a bat mitzvah and I'm like a little Game of Thrones. I'm like obsessed. I'm like, what about like a red bat mitzvah? Why don't we do that? And my husband's like, that's (laughs) so fucked up. I'm like, do you know how much fun that would be? He's like, do you want to rewatch it? I'm like, imagine how much fun that would be. He's like, never say it again. Amazing. I'm on board.
1: That That sounds, that's a great, I'm on board. I don't think that that would scar children at all.
0: No. And I'm really, I love a Harry Potter bat mitzvah more than that. It's not real
1: blood. No.
0: We could carry it. We could do pig's blood. We could do, it could be fun. (laughs) You could use like icing or like something kind of fun and edible. I think it'd be amazing. If anybody does it, send pictures because I I think it's inspired. He's like, no, I'm on board. He's, he actually like, said, "Don't mention it to my in-laws." So I was like, "Okay, I won't mention it to your parents, your folks." Um, and I have to ask you because uh, this is my own little nerdy self. Like, I wanted to hear it. So I know you played a band, and this is a totally random segue, but how did you get the name The Solids? Because I'm always obsessed at finding how comedy groups and bands get their names.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that's the funny thing. When it wasn't supposed to be like some joke or something, it sort of sounds like it might be referring to poop or something. I guess. No, I was like do me a favor. <laughs> it was really just do me a salad. It really, it really was that. It was just like, we liked the idea of like, do me a salad. I was like, all right, the stuff, C- uh, Carter and I were very into like, um, we were, we were actually in a like nine piece soul band and in, in college, we were huge fans of the movie, the Commitments, So we tried to do that in Connecticut instead of Ireland. And so we had like a four piece horn section. We played like oh, all yeah. like Stax records, Otis Redding, Sam cook. We, we did all of, we, we just were that band in college. And like just so many bands in that world, and like Motown, and just like bands that we were into at that time, just had the and a plural, you know. Like we just we just like the simplicity of that, and somebody like the idea of ah, oh, do me a sell All right, it's a solid. So that was it. Kind of just came from that. We were just like very into like 50s and 60s kind of band names at that time. So we were trying to like great, name. And, but but by the way, that was not the name of our soul band. We we that was like what we did after the soul band, which is us being like an indie rock kind of power poppy kind of band, and that. That is the iteration of a band that we sort of carried into New York. We did that while we were at Letterman, and we wrote the song "Hey, Beautiful" in that band. And part, a little part of that song, became the theme song to "How I Met Your Mother." And I will plug that band again because Please. in our, here we are in our forties, we are now getting that band back together in New York, and we're gonna start playing some shows in 2019. We're, it's like true midlife crisis band,
0: oh, it's but we're gonna play
1: some like "How I Met Your Mother"y things. We're gonna play like some some of our songs that were on the show and, and stuff. So we're gonna we're gonna be playing around New York. So take look out for the solids everybody. Are you gonna
0: put <laughs> are you gonna post info about it so people can know yeah, where to yeah, check yeah.
1: it out? We'll t- totally. Yeah, we'll tweet about it. Um, we're hoping to play a show maybe in May. Um, and actually try to raise some money for for the doctor who researches my my son's condition. So like, to do, do something amazing. that even do do something that even good. if we're horrible and unwatchably bad in our forties as a band, because it's not like we were that great in our twenties. Uh, at least it's for a good cause. <laughs> in your twenties, though, out of a good cause. Didn't you
0: think like in your twenties yeah. you were like um, amazing?
1: <laughs> you... I don't know. I don't really? know. I think I. I think we – yeah, I guess we were under a little – we were under the illusion that we were worth – that, like, asking our coworkers to come was okay, uh, which we, is a, which is a huge, uh, a huge uh, ask huge. <laughs> that we, we could, like, show our face the next day in front of our coworkers. Like we were good – we felt we were good enough that it wasn't embarrassing. I guess that was the crucial test.
0: We always, I don't know what
1: the answer is to that test anymore, by the way.
0: No, it's funny. Like, <laughs> we always laugh here. We'll Do people, like, in L.A., I don't know if people did this for you, like, come see my improv show. It's probably yeah. the same thing. Oh, yeah. like, it was always like come see my improv show and like when we did yeah. improv like come see your so we were like seeing so many improv shows and like you know that there's a wide range of good improv to bad oh, improv. Absolutely. So yeah. Uh, yeah we didn't know. We did, did a how
1: was... much mother episode about that. We did a how much mother episode about like a friend you know, when your friend in your friend group says like come see my show oh. and we did a whole episode about that. That was entirely about that, the sort of like politics of that. Like, is that okay? You feel roped Ooh. into going? And that can I think that came in part because like we would, we would pass out our little band flyers at Letterman back in our 20s. <laughs> and we'd like give them to everybody. We'd give them to Paul Schaefer. We'd give them to Dave Letterman. We'd be like, our band's playing. Come and on, just, Dave. he always like kind of laughed. He, he would always laugh and be like, oh yeah, I'm definitely coming. <laughs> and he did, not, he did not make it.
0: uh, (laughs) i'm definitely like oh he's mocking me full-on that's cool
1: (laughs) yeah i think he appreciated the balls of us being like here's my band's flyer we just would give them to everybody uh yeah so i guess in that sense we were delusional and confident uh to think that it was like okay to do that
0: (laughs) we always thought we were like genius at improv like even like in my different improv groups i'm like we were so funny and then i look back at some of the sketches we wrote i'm like that's literally embarrassing. Like I cannot believe we did yeah. that in front of people. But we thought it was amazing. We were funny, but it wasn't. Yeah, we our new you thing. Need, now, yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. I, I think
1: right? the key, the key, the key is you need. I think you need all art comes from essentially some level of self delusion, right? You ha- yes. you have to think you're that good. Yeah. You have to think that you're that good, and that you are worth listening to in some way, or else you won't ever get anything done. So you kind of actually need to sort of like protect that precious little flame of your own self-delusion a little bit. (laughs) Not like turn it it, into a raging wildfire of narcissism, but there is some little flame of self-delusion that you need to like keep lit, like keep a little eternal flame of like, yeah, I'm just that little bit good enough that people it's worth putting my work out there. You actually, that's, that's a precious thing. You got to keep that going. (laughs) You have to have a
0: little ego because it's, it's like literally such a vulnerable place to be like, here's something that I did it's oh, literally yeah. me. Like, what do you think? It's yeah. funny. Like, um, does your wife... Do you ask your wife for feedback on stuff, on either music or things that you wrote? in like, um, or, like episodes? Or... I'm just curious. I
1: Do you know what? I used to a lot more. Um, and the reason that I don't as much is that Lily on How I Met Your Mother was a little bit based on her and Marshall was a little bit based on me. Really, they became their own characters pretty quickly and fictional characters. But every now and again, there would be something like, from our relationship that directly went on the show. And usually I'd forget to warn her that that was happening. So she'd just, like, like watch it air to millions of people on CBS and be like, that's exactly what I said during that huge fight we had four years ago. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, yeah, sorry, is that okay? Is
0: that okay? Like, what do you mean
1: is it okay? It's, it's airing right now. Like, you can't, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. So there, there was, there was a, you know, we're such vampires for material writers, right? We will just like it doesn't even feel wrong to me to do it. like I have to remind myself to like tell people if I'm doing that at this point so, so sometimes I, I would sort of shield I, I think I ask for feedback less because I'm sort of like I want to write it the way I want it to be and not and not have people tell me like that you can't use that it's terrible it's very selfish but uh, I, I should be showing I probably should be showing more material to people in my life before putting it into the world <laughs> but uh yeah that's my weird dynamic about showing things. <laughs>
0: well, it's weird. I was telling, I was talking to somebody about this. I was asking my husband. I was like, "Hey, will you? We will you listen to this podcast. So I was, I'm really, I'm excited about it." And then he came home, and I was like, "Well," and he goes, "Do you want my feedback?" And I said, "No, I, I, I don't want your feedback. I just want a compliment." And he's like, "I'm sorry, what?" I'm like, "I just want you to shower with me with compliments yeah. right now. I don't yeah. want any feedback." He's like, "But I'm your husband. This is what we do." I'm like, "You can't censor me." I'm like, "No, no, no. no. I, I, I really, really want to censor you. Like, I totally soups want to censor you. Like." <laughs> completely totally censor you i want to shut you down he's like you can't yeah. do it. i'm like no but if you ask directly and it's literally i want so we had a big debate over yeah. whether you're allowed to ask your spouse and if you are is the spouse supposed to be honest with you or are they just fucked if they are honest with you do you take like how do you how do you you know play that little
1: dance i think it's separate conversations I think you need that You need to be very clear, like, right now I need a conversation where you tell me I did great work and it's awesome that I put that out there. And then, like, maybe a separate scheduled conversation yes. that you like, that is, like, a feedback session that you know yes. you're asking for that. I think if, like, everyone's emotionally prepared, it goes better. Yes. Um, but it can't be the same conversation. I think you need no. that first nice conversation. And then, like, Absolutely. days need to pass before conversation, too. Thank you.
0: I'm going to be playing yeah. your quote over and over again. I said you have to compliment sandwich me. Like, start with a compliment, and then like three months later, you can give me something negative, but then finish it off with another compliment. He's like, "That will never happen." Yeah. I'm like, but that's how it needs to happen. That's that's, I think <laughs> that's, that's the, the only magic.
1: way this works. It's the only. Yeah, I think way. so. Well, we all I... need to be lied to from now on again. Even yeah. if we, even if it's not good, just lie to us. Just, just give us, lie. give us at least one, one pleasant lie conversation. And then, like a week later, honesty. I think that's what what artists need. You just the first the first thing needs to be a nice, just a nice lie.
0: Oh, beautiful lie. And I don't <laughs> just even coddle, dare, us. Like, coddle me, like placate me. Just and you can even and I know it's a lie. I'm okay with it, especially since yeah. I'm asking for it. I'm I I'm very excited. I feel like I feel like I can use this as as a proof point when I uh, for the next time I ask for feedback and be like, well, I want you to listen to what Craig has to say. Uh, yeah,
1: but, I think it's crucial.
0: Oh, thank God. You've saved me. I also want to just thank you. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but this has been such a pleasure talking to you. I'm such a fan of your work and I'm I always delighted following your Twitter feed as well. And I'm just, I'm so excited. Thank you for coming on and I really appreciate it so much.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm, it's nice that you're doing this and have having a forum where people can talk about comedy and politics and all that stuff. I I appreciate that you're doing that again. It's like, all we can do is put that little bit of good out into the world during this sort of dark time and a uh... Good on you for doing this show. Oh, I appreciate
0: it. It's kind of a time where you're seeing more and more creative people in in this world speaking out and talking about these issues that matter. So it's been exciting to see that sort of marriage of both worlds coming together. Um, I want to just tell anybody who's listening, uh, visit DeepStateRadioNetwork.com and support all of our work by becoming a member. Members receive early access to all the podcasts, one-on-one newsmaker interviews, discounts on Deep State Radio swag newsletters valentine's day is coming up so you can give the gift of deep state that's exciting Um, and you can also follow deep state radio on twitter on facebook you can follow me on twitter at cia spy girl and you can also follow craig on twitter at i was going to say how i met your mother craig but it's h-i-m-y-m craig and follow him he's a delight as well thank you craig Well, thank you for having me it's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank
1: you again. Have a good one. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find.